phase is locked and ready to fire, sir. Illogical. Hello, this is Floyd from Federation Radio. So, this is my new series where I'm going to be going over Star Trek, episode by episode, and I intend to do every single series, everywhere, everything I can find. I'm going to start with all the main series, and I'm going to be watching it to begin with, but I think it'll persist through the whole thing, unless something new comes out that I really want to cover. In between these episodes, I'll be doing special episodes covering races that I enjoy, species, maybe talking about different things in certain episodes that I found particularly interesting and don't want to take up the whole episode with. But anyway, we'll start with, and I actually debated whether I was going to start with this episode or the next one, because technically this is the pilot, and this pilot was turned down when it was given to the studio, so it didn't actually air on TV until... I think nearly a decade later or something, like long after season three of the original series was finished. So I decided to cover it anyway, because this is an initial look in on what the writers of Star Trek were trying to accomplish at the time, what they had in mind. And it's really funny to watch it in hindsight, because, man, a lot of things from this end up changing. Some, some I think are sad and some were good. So anyway... So season one of the original series, and I'm considering this to be episode one. You can count it as episode zero if you want, since it didn't air. But if you look it up on Netflix, it is the number one on the playlist. That's how it's usually listed now. So there's The Cage. The Cage was a, a very strange episode. Not only from a modern perspective, as it was, you know, obviously filmed in the 1960s, and as a pilot for, a at the time, what was considered a B-tier series... It didn't have a large budget, and the pilot had even less, so some of the effects for the budget they were working with and the technology, probably amazing for the time, today look real kooky. But it was cool. I mean, the things in this episode that stand out to me the most is the fact that there's a different captain. We have Captain Pike, who gets talked about a little bit later, but I think originally Captain Pike was supposed to be the captain for the original series. But that obviously changed due to... I don't actually remember exactly why. I believe it was to do with contracts, though. When they actually got the second pilot and were working out contracts, that actor had other work and he left. But it worked out fine, because we get a great captain later. But this episode, I'll give you the basic breakdown of the story. So, we come in with the Enterprise, which is an Earth ship. It's the flagship of, well, Starfleet. Well, it's a Federation ship. At this, In this episode, he actually calls it a... USS ship of Earth, which is obviously because at this point, I don't know if they'd really hammered down what the Federation was going to be just yet, which just so you know is an alliance that Earth becomes a part of in the Star Trek series where aliens and humans just work together. We have one military and all that sort of stuff. It's just a cooperative way to live instead of forming a big empire or going out as just privateers. But at this point, it wasn't mentioned. We were called an Earth ship. It was led by Captain Pike. And he had a first officer, number one, who was also played by Gene Roddenberry's wife, who plays quite a few roles in the story. Later on, she'll voice the computer, but, you know, it was fun. She's number one. Unfortunately, her role was actually removed um, for the ongoing series. Instead of being a number one and being the number one officer to the captain like she was supposed to be initially, the studio decided to get rid of it. They didn't want her there, so 
in the 60s they thought having a female lead like that was too progressive but they compromised on letting Uhura the black lady that is the comms officer later be the comms officer although in this pilot I will say she's not there in fact <laughs> almost nobody that you recognize from the original series is here the doctor is a doctor Boyce who I've never seen before and basically was the most 1960s doctor I could ever imagine prescribing him bottle a uh, bottle of whiskey and saying i am not your doctor right now i'm your bartender because there's many things you'll say to your bartender you won't say to your doctor which was great yeah he, he seemed like a decent character i don't mind where they were trying to go with him i can sort of see how dr bones that we get later is sort of built off this i'm not sure what happened to this actor and why they didn't keep him but you know like everyone else in this episode basically they all get replaced but this ship, the Earth ship, is heading towards a sec... Heading towards... I don't actually remember where they were heading. They were heading somewhere. But as they're heading there, they get a communication from the Talo system. They work out that it's a beacon from a ship that crashed a while ago. It is a ship. It is a... I don't remember if they call it an Earth ship or a Federation ship. But in any case, it's a ship that's crashed. They get the message. They discover it happened a little while ago. But they've just picked up the transmission and decide to turn away from their current mission and head towards this to see if there's any survivors and when they get there they find the tallow system which is a, a fairly primitive system they find a world that is habitable but it shows signs of a war probably being fought there long ago the surface is dusty not that habitable you can survive there but it's basically looks like a nuclear war went on there so they do find survivors so there's one young woman who was supposedly a child when the ship landed or crashed and a bunch of old men which i found really weird I, i'm sure it was just whatever actors they could find but it was very odd this idea of a young girl living on this planet for and we see when we're here it's like i don't know if i took note of that i don't think i did but i think they say it's something like 13 years they've been stranded there so you know a long time. It just seemed like a weird setup. I'm not sure why they went with that. But anyway. Very quickly, the Doctor comes through. The away team comes off the ship to check on them all. And they find that they're all fine. They're in perfect health. Except there's one issue is that the young woman isn't on the ship manifest as far as they have in their records. So there was no child on board. She was an adult and she should be well into her 90s. But they don't really get a chance to look into this too much. Because that's when they discover that she has led the captain into a cave system where there are these really, really... I don't know how else to describe them other than just big-brained aliens. They look like humans that just have these massive brains on them and they've got these stupid veins on the side that kind of throb that they tried to use as, like, I guess, 60 special effects to be like they're using their brain or their telepathic power. So at first, they refuse to speak. They only talk in telepathy. And they use their powers to create illusion. And very quickly, the, ship, the ship's crew discovers that not only has the captain gone into this cave with the young girl and not come back, but all the other survivors have disappeared. They were an illusion created by the Talos as a way of luring captain in. And when they try and go after the captain into this cave, they find there's a door and they're just... No matter what they fire at, and they're blowing everything. They're shooting their phasers, and nothing's stopping it. Uh, nothing is opening the door. It's heating up. It's not moving. We, we do get one thing that I thought was really cool. 
in this scene is they actually set up because the phaser which is basically just a laser gun you know in the show we see them they're usually used on stun as a security measure on board but they can be turned up to kill and when they're on kill they're very powerful we've seen them blow open doors and blow holes in walls you know and they're firing them and they're just heating up the door it's not opening it then they get out an artillery piece an artillery phaser which is something i don't think we ever see again throughout star trek I could be wrong, but it's definitely not something they use commonly, and it's not something that I've seen them use ever again. And they start firing on this door, and again, nothing. <laughs> it's just doing nothing as far as they can tell they can't get in. So then it goes back to Pike in the cave, and we discover through Pike that basically they're trying to imprison Pike with this girl so that they can breed. Because these aliens have destroyed their culture, they've forgotten how to use their own technology long ago because they had a war, they were forced underground, and so they just enjoyed themselves, they entertained themselves, and since they were telepaths and they were very powerful with it, they did exactly what any species would do, and probably exactly what humans would do, and they found a way to entertain themselves with it. The problem was they get so lost in their entertainment over the generations, presumably, that they're there, that at this point, their so morality is gone. Like, they're kidnapping these humans, hoping that they'll breed just so they can mess with the humans. This is their form of TV. Their form of entertainment is just messing with them. They give them food, they keep them alive, but it's like, do as I say and entertain me, or, and then they actually show it, they put Captain Pike in what looks like hell. It's like a burning fire. He seems to really feel as if he's on fire, and it goes on for a while, and then he pops back. Suddenly he's not in fire, he's in the room with the girl again. And that's when it becomes real that, yeah, the, the Talos are not a little telepathic, they're super telepathic. Like, this species, even in comparison to most we see in Star Trek, like, there are many other species on this level, as far as telepathy goes. They can create illusions that make you feel like it's real, they can actually hurt you. But they can give you good things too, but basically they want you to be a slave. They're telling Pike, you're never gonna leave, and Pike who funny enough before this we saw a little scene of the reason the doctor was visiting him was because he seemed really like frustrated like he was at the end of his nerve he had no patience left and we sort of see that he's tired like pike was meant to be a captain who i think wanted to retire he wasn't sure why he was still in starfleet he didn't feel like he was accomplishing anything and he just at this point as he said wanted to go home so there was a part of him when he was down here and he admits to it that kind of liked the idea of staying He's got a beautiful woman, and he gets to live in whatever fantasy he wants for the rest of his life. But as he points out, their children would be basically enslaved, and as would they. And he morally can't do that, so he refuses. He fights them, he tries to use primitive emotions that they're unable to... Because he discovers that they're unable to read his mind, or understand what his intentions are at all when he does that. It blocks their view of his brain. Which makes it easier for him to try and attack one, which he does. He actually strangles one. He manages to get close enough using these thoughts to block it, making it think that he wasn't aggressive, and then he gets on it. Now, physically, these creatures aren't very strong. The Talos aliens, like, he throws it to the ground pretty easy. It doesn't look like it can do much in its defense. He then makes a huge discovery, and that's that they're illusion masters. Everything's an illusion. Even though he knew that before, he didn't realize quite to what extent. Because the reason he hadn't just shot them before with his phaser is because as far as he could tell, his phaser was out of energy the moment he went in the cave. But then he realizes he clocks his 
Well, he like cocks it. It's weird. They kind of spin the phaser. That's not something they do later, but it's almost like they're trying to charge it before they fire it. He spins it a few times and fires at the wall. And then the illusion holds, and it looks like nothing happens, and it makes everyone appear that, hey, he didn't actually fire his weapon. He clicked the trigger and nothing happened. And then he says, no, I think you're wrong. This is all an illusion. I'll bet that I just blew a hole in that wall, and you're making me appear as if I didn't. Well, they're making him perceive it as if it didn't happen, as if the wall is still completely solid. And he basically yells at him, which, remember, he has the Talos alien in his hands right now around his neck. And he says, I will snap your head off if you don't show me what's really happening and drop the illusions. And, obviously, looking into his mind, he must have been very true about those intentions because he drops the illusion and we see that Captain Pike was right. There is a hole in the wall, his phaser does have power, and this was all an illusion. Now, at this point, the other aliens on this planet, because there's more than one Talos, start freaking out, and they start scanning the ship's knowledge banks, and they go through the entire computer memory core, and eventually they end up coming into the room with Captain Pike and saying, let our friend go, we're going to let you go. We've discovered your species has an extreme intolerance to being jailed. But did I write down exactly what it says? Um... Dark. Yeah, they say, your species has a unique hatred of captivity, which is pretty cool. We also find out that Vina, when the illusion drops, is actually almost a pretty Frankenstein, is a nice way to put it. She basically was the only survivor of the original ship that crashed, but the Talos had never seen a human before. And obviously Vina was not a doctor, so when they read her mind, they had no knowledge of how a human was meant to look. But they had very advanced medical knowledge, which led them down this path of putting her back together and then basically using their illusion powers to make her appear pretty and make her feel and forget that she actually is kind of messed up. Like she has a big hump on the side of her back and her shoulders out and it's like... You can tell she functions, but it's probably not nice. It's probably painful, it's probably a lot of problems and that's not really their fault. That's not because they're evil, they did their best. But, you know, it's sad. But it's interesting, too, because it basically is Frankenstein. She is put together, but she's meant to be pretty, which is an interesting take on Frankenstein. So we also get through the illusions, weirdly, that Pike is a horse rider, which I noted. I know it's not important to the story, but that's something that comes up with a lot of the captains. Kirk is also a horse rider, as is Picard. I could be wrong, but I think Catherine Janeway might be as well. It seems to be a thing with captains on horse riding, and I don't know what that correlation is. But anyway, like, that's a bit of a long-winded but basic breakdown of what happens. Like, in the end, they end up saying, you can leave. Vina stays, and she says, I hope you'll come back one day. And the Talos aliens basically say, you would be welcome, Captain. So, you know, that's a good way to end it. They ended on, the, they're leaving, and it becomes clear that the Talos, they're not going to try and get other humans like this the second the ship leaves. Like, they understand human nature, this is pointless. They're going to go back underground and live with Vina. Now, so overall, it's not a bad episode. Even as far as, like, other track goes and stuff, like, it's actually really interesting. I like the Talos aliens, and I kind of wish they'd been touched on more often. I wish they were a more reoccurring alien. I think they're a fascinating species. But so far, we've had very little to do with them after this, so, you know, there's that. It's a pretty good episode. The crew, like I said, they all changed, so I don't really know what to say about them. Like, I will say, number one, 
the female that is well the woman she's the wife of gene roddenberry who wrote the show so she's a fairly important figure she in the original series you'll see after this like i think in the next episode becomes the nurse she's like the number one nurse in the medbay so they keep her on the ship they just change her from first officer to that we don't really have a first officer in the original series spock sort of takes up that role but he's the science officer which is the role he plays in this he just in the original series i guess removing number one gave him a bit more authority but a few other notes i took when i was watching this episode just because it was interesting was like i said some of the transitions were weird the initial one where they do the intro and then it's kind of like it's like they wanted you to be going inside the window of the ship and looking at the bridge but the way they did it with the camera and tried to make the transition from the model window to the scene it they kind of tried to green screen it but it was obvious it was the 1960s they didn't have the tech or the skills to do it what they did kind of looks cool for its time but it doesn't hold up it looks bad i gotta be honest but you know it's fun fun little quirks of 1960s shows yeah some other notes i had was obviously yeah or Majel barrett is the name of that actress that played number one now spock spock is number one and spock's a famous name of course he's the famous vulcan and vulcans later on as they love to say well, they don't love to say they don't have emotions, but they suppress their emotions. They like to claim they don't have emotions. But when you really ask them, they'll say, yes, we do. But we suppress them because emotions are illogical. Now, this Spock is a little different. And it makes me wonder, what was the original intention with Vulcans? Because he's been given the weird eyebrows that kind of clearly show that, you know, he's meant to not quite be human. Now, he's a half-human, but... In this episode, it's not really mentioned that he's half-human. He's not even really mentioned that he's a Vulcan, to be honest. He just roughly looks like an alien. But what's more interesting about him is that he shows a lot more emotion. Like, he's seen actually getting annoyed. He's seen looking disappointed more than once. He, on the planet, he touches a flower that's like a blue leaf that's humming. And he gets this big smile and turns to the captain and it's just... Knowing Spock and the Vulcans later, it's really weird to watch, and you could tell it's a pilot because they hadn't quite wrapped their mind around what the Vulcans were yet and what Spock was going to be. But, you know, this is the one time where Spock shows probably more emotion than any other. Some other things I had was Pike talked about when the Doctor asked him when he's going to leave, well, if he's going to leave, what would he do? He basically, he throws a few things out, but one thing he threw out that I thought was kind of cool was he talked about joining the Orion Traders, which makes me think either morality in the first episode for the Earthships was meant to be a bit more loose, or the Orion Traders were originally maybe just a name they threw out that weren't meant to become the pirates. The sort of, at first they kind of come off as pirates and slavers, like in early Trek, and then as we progress through the timeline they'll become more... They are a species with a culture, but they also have a very big underground and like criminal syndicates and stuff like that, rather than overt piracy and slavery. But you know, overall, not, I would say, a morally good people. So it's surprising to hear a Starfleet captain saying I would join them. But you know, again, pilot, we didn't see any Orions, we don't really know, actually we did see an Orion in one of the illusions, but we just saw a, se a sexy chick dancing as an Orion, which is you know doesn't tell you much about who they are really so i don't know if they were different here or it was just a name they threw out but i thought that was cool <laughs> there's a couple of things i noticed through the episode as well like there's one line from captain pike that kind of gets me of uh i just can't get used to women being on the bridge 
And that, you know, that line just speaks for itself. Even in the 1960s, I think that was a bit of a... I guess in the military it wasn't an uncommon view, but I feel like even the average guy back then would have been like, that's pretty rude. Especially saying that in front of them. Like, even if they agree, that would have been seen as a bit of a rude line to just throw out like that. But anyway, the episode is a sign of its time sometimes. There's a lot of extras, and I noticed one in particular before they got in the lift was like a young boy who really didn't know what to do with himself. He was scratching at his shirt, he was rubbing his face with the end of a phase. Like he just, he was a very obvious extra that they got that just didn't have any acting experience, and that's okay. It was just funny. The transporters were used, which surprised me. The fact that transporters are one of those things that uh, was in the pilot episode. That's one of those constants throughout all of Star Trek, and I kind of love that they were here. So that was fun. Yeah, then I've written about the humming plants. Yeah, United Spaceship. And one of the colonists... Oh, not the colonists, the crash survivors, or the illusion ones before we realize they're an illusion, says that he is a doctor from the American Continent Institute. Now, I don't think we ever hear from the American Institute of Con or American Continent Institute ever again, but it gets thrown out there and it sort of suggests or it at least makes it seem like America is still a thing when we're kind of led to believe that Earth has one government now. We it's sort of vague on exactly how that government works or where it's based or how it formed, but it seems like they have one government because they have one military and one force and all that seems to be pretty centralized. So it's interesting that they mention America because that almost makes it seem like it's an American government that took over the world, which maybe that was the original intention of Star Trek and maybe that is what happened. They've very vaguely gone into details of World War Three. We don't really know what's meant to have happened in the story. So I just found that interesting. Now, they mention with speed because at one point the ship tries to tries to speed away from the planet to get out of range of the mental abilities but it doesn't work the ship systems basically just start shutting down when they try and leave but when they're trying to take off normally in star trek they call it warp and warp speed is usually numbered between one and ten what speed they're going depending on the series and the era you're in but in this one they called it the time warp system because he said engage the time warp system. And that... I, I don't know what the original intention was. But I'm glad they changed it from the time warp system. Because that just sounds dumb. And it makes me think of time travel. And that's not what they're doing. And it confuses the entire thing. So that's that's out. Let's, let's be glad that's gone. I did have a, one nice line that I remember. Was at one point they were trying to transport from the ship. They failed with the artillery. They headed back up to the ship. At this point, they had discussed what was going on and they were going to send another team down. So Spock and number one, the woman, and another assistant. She is an assistant. She was a female that was seen on the bridge before. She was some ensign that was just bringing, like, logs and things to the captain. Was on there and a few other people. They all get in the transporter pad and right as they go to transport to go down, the transport sequence starts, but only the women are caught, and the two women are sent in, and the aliens try and give Pike multiple choices of women, as if that's going to entice him to stay more. But, like, there's a moment, just as they disappear, as Spock turns and realizes the men weren't transported, and he realizes the women are basically being kidnapped as they were transporting, he just has this moment where he, he just yells, THE WOMEN! And I just... <laughs> because he's a Vulcan... Again, him showing emotion, but him showing panic and Spock yelling, the women, is just... 
I don't know. It got me good. It made me feel good when I saw that. It made me laugh. And yeah, there's there's not really much more to say about that episode. I mean, the one other note I made, not that it's really relevant in the episode, is that there's a mention of the fact in one of the illusions they go to the Mojave Desert, which is in New Mexico. Or no, it's in U Utah? Oh god. Nevada. It's in Nevada. The Mojave is the desert in Nevada. Sorry, I'm not American, by the way, so the fact that I know this, go America, your culture spreads. But, like, Mojave is a desert. It's a well-known desert, it's a huge desert, it's basically, think of old-school westerns, like, rotten wood towns with a sheriff, like, think of that look, that's the Mojave Desert. The mention in one of the illusions that he grew up there, and Vina makes a comment about how, oh, remember when this used to be, uh, she doesn't say remember, she says this all used to be deserts and such. Remember there was like cactuses and things around? That was before they fixed it all. Which, you know, and with the setting they're in, we sort of see New Vegas in the background, which sort of suggests that Earth has been terraformed a hell of a lot, or at least that was the initial intention. Because apparently the deserts have become green and we're living everywhere, which... Makes sense to me. I mean, if humans had that ability to space travel and terraform, I'm sure we would fix our own planet in all sorts of ways. But I thought it was interesting. It was a direct mention of a place on Earth, which you'll come to see through the series. Earth is a weird planet that isn't often talked about. It is and it isn't. It's important and it's not. Because it's important because it's the center of where most of the characters come from and where the Earth culture comes from. And it's where Starfleet Command is. But in vast majority of episodes, we don't go to Earth or even have communication from Earth directly. It's all pretty galactic scale. So we spend very little time on Earth itself, and most of that time is in San Francisco at the Academy for Starfleet. So my again, my knowledge of how that world works, its governments, its people, how much of it is green, what's its population, I, I really can't tell you because, weirdly, Star Trek has managed to be on TV as a alternative future for us in the science fiction realms. Where it's, what, I think by the original series, it is the 23rd century. So it's, you know, a couple hundred years from us now, and I couldn't tell you anything really about it. Because we know so little. But thank you for coming by. This has been the first episode of Federation Radio. Next time, we'll be covering episode one of the original series. Goodbye for now.